Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the chair and ready to dive once again, sadly in many ways, into one of the game's constant issues as the New South Wales government announces half of Park golf course will be closed and the land turned from golf holes into a park. It'd be fair to say the news has caused a bit of a stir in the golf community, and understandably so. And while there's little in the way of new, if anything, in any of the arguments on either side, it's still important that those of us with a voice in the game continue to make those arguments whenever and wherever possible. So no prizes for guessing what we'll be talking about on this episode, and to do that, we'll be joined shortly by Lucy Quilliam, a member and multiple club champion at Moore Park. We'll find out if that's correct or not. Information supplied by Logue. Uh, we'll get a sense from her about how the news has been received and what perhaps might happen next. Before I introduce Lucy, let me bring in regular co-host Adrian Logue, who I'm optimistically hoping might have some sort of bizarre left field no. theory or idea that's going to save this whole sorry situation. No. Not only for more. If you park, get me talking too much, everywhere. I'll probably mess up the whole thing, and there'll <laughs> you, be no you're golf giving course. Giving away all of yeah, more park and no every other public golf course park. in New South Wales. <laughs> Don't let me get too creative. What was your knee jerk reaction to the announcement? Like, came as a shock to most of us. I think that it was completely unexpected, necessarily. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But sad, and uh, but also a little bit of inevitability about it. But also, like, what could we have done better? Is got to be a takeaway from this yeah, as well. You'd but, think so. Yeah. If you don't learn, then there's no real point. Is it? No doubt we're going to cover all of that and more as we go along. We'll be doing that with Lucy Quilliam, who's also on site with us here at the Sydney Podcast Studios Compound. Lucy, welcome. Safe to assume the news has been taken pretty hard at the club? Yes, I think you could safely say that. Yeah. Um, I think it was, like everybody, we were really surprised and blindsided. Well, um, I find that a bit surprising, I must say. And that's yeah, interesting we, in itself. Well, I think I'm also on the board um, at Moore Park and uh, our dealings up to that point with uh, the trust and um, some ministers was to be in discussion about our operating agreement, which comes up for review in June 2024. So we've been trying to get ahead of the game as far as that's concerned. And the whole conversation has always been about how what's that going to look like? Uh, and at no point was there any indication that there was just going to be this monumental change uh, or that they were they were even thinking about this. And so we, just as everybody else, when that news broke on Sunday morning, we'd been given the heads up that there was going to be something announced, but no detail from the Premier. No. Hmm. Just for people who don't understand, I put myself in this category as well. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of the outline of the, the management structure? It's quite complicated, isn't it? Sure. Moore Park, where it sits within Centennial Park, and there's a trust and who's in control. It's actually public land, but not necessarily directly government controlled. What's the structure? Yes. Yeah, so um, the land, the golf course, the driving range is ultimately um, managed or governed by the uh, Sydney, Greater Sydney Parkland Trust, which was used to be the Centennial Parkland Trust. They then, um, there's a contractor on site, which is Clublinks, who manage the golf shop uh, and the driving range. Day-to-day operations. Day-to-day operations. And then there is Park Golf Club that have uh, access to certain tee times during the week and on weekends, um, which actually only makes up 25% of the Total tea times. So not a traditional golf clubs, as many members would understand, where there's much more than 25% set aside for memberships. Yeah. Whilst there are members, it is a public facility. Correct, correct. Because, yeah, the other 75% is used by public. 
So it's it's yeah, it's sort of you hear um, Moor Park Golf Club and you think that we run the whole thing, but that is not the case. And so our sort of ability to make decisions and and pull the levers on sort of what's happening with the course what's and everything like that and how the place is run is very limited uh, we have some input but um, we have to sort of work with the other yeah, there's, entities there's bigger forces that can easily overrule what you might want at the golf club I'd imagine absolutely a, and yeah. do on a fairly regular basis within all of that in those day-to-day operations uh, this is just to get some of the the sort of housekeeping out of the way the course itself returns somewhere in the vicinity of about $3 million a year to that trust through profit. Is that right? The course or the, cor- the club? Well, the course, the facility. Not so much the Moorpark Golf Club, but Moorpark Golf Course. About $15 million. $15 million. Yes. Goes back that's to? The, the trust. The trust. Yes, that's the whole precinct. So it's, the whole driving golfing, range, driving the range. The extremely profitable, very, very yes. popular driving range, which yeah. is going to be retained as part of this, it seems. But well, yeah. it's a moneymaker. Yeah. I mean, even an anti-golf person wouldn't be foolish enough to close a driving range. Yeah. It makes as much money as the more yeah. park driving but range. That would The course as well, which does like something like 90,000 90, rounds, rounds 90, last year. 90,000 rounds. So, which is yeah. one of the busiest golf courses in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So stop, stop three possibly, in Australia, I think. Yes, so. three million, I think. Um, in just the green fees, the golf aspect fees, yeah. or the, go- the green fees. Yeah. How'd you going to be a member at Moore Park, Lucy? Of all the private golf clubs on offer around Sydney, and you said they only make up twenty five percent. I'd imagine as a member, it's trickier to be a member at Moore Park than a similar private facility who have complete control over everything. Um, so my decision to join there was uh, it's accessible, um, easy to get to from. I live in Paddington. So geographically accessible, Ge- yeah. yeah. Um, but also the the big kicker for me was um, the fact that uh, it's. Uh, inclusive as far as women is concerned and we can uh, play in any of the competitions any of the you know on Saturdays and Sundays which is important for me I work full time so being able to play at the weekend and it was affordable that's that's the thing Um, so it was it was a no-brainer for me that um, it was the accessibility not only from a sort of geographical but also a financial uh, position. Also, yeah. it shouldn't be lost in all of this. That it's a good golf course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a really potentially. Good golf oh, it's a championship. Yeah. This is the whole point. Yeah, it's a championship right. course, exactly. and you know um, that makes it, it. Yeah, that was a selling point as well. Yeah. Within all of this, Lucy, you strike me as someone who. Logan and I and most of the people we hang out with are completely immersed in golf. Most of the people I know and talk to for the most part are in golf. Now that I've got the studio here, I get less of that and more people outside of You strike me as someone who's immersed in golf but has this whole other life. What do non-golfers say to you when they find out you play golf about Moore Park? Because it's been in the newspapers and that sort of thing. Oh, look, so the majority of people that I speak to, they go, oh, yeah, you know, I went to the driving range there and mm. everything like that. And so mm. sort of speaking to people... Um, this week, you know, they said, oh, I saw you on Channel 7, I saw the news and everything like that. And it, it, it is, you know, why would cutting it back to nine holes make a difference? And it's not an easy answer to give to people. As a golfer, you can see the ignorance of it without thinking about it. Yes. But as a non-golfer, yeah. it's clearly a, um, a question that a lot of... Uh, but I, I think, you know, when I explain to... Um, because people say, oh, you know, there's loads more courses around in the eastern suburbs. This is the big thing, mm. you know. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, there are lots of courses, but they're private courses that are 
incredibly expensive to join. Yeah. Um, but Lucy, they're as big as three centennial parks. The golf courses that <laughs> ate Sydney's East. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald today. Oh, yeah. I'm a journo. That's completely irresponsible. Yeah. That, that is a completely irresponsible article. But this stuff flies, doesn't it? Yeah. And this is the problem. And so people are just like, why Why does it make a difference? And it's, it's yeah, as I say, it's what worries me is there are people now that come to Moore Park. It is easy to get onto. You can book... Um, well, when I say it's easy to get onto, it's so busy that it's actually quite hard to get tea times, mm. but it's easier than a public, uh, a private course. Mm. Where are they all going to go? Yeah. Um, because I think the coast and um, Eastlake's East three-year three yeah. wait list, mm. um, even, you know, Bonnie Doon is three-year wait list, and you've true. still got to drop. 20 grand mm. joining field, you know? So those are sort of the, the clubs around them. So I, I really worry about where people are going to go because we're at capacity. So everybody else is at capacity and it may just get filed in the too hard basket. Um, and it's the ease of playing at Moore Park has been what it makes it so attractive. Mm-hmm. And People will either give up the game, which is really sad. Sad. Um, or, yeah, I don't know. It brings sharply into focus, doesn't it, Logue? The responsibility or the role that private clubs have here that I don't think they've realised nor have they ever taken up to nurture the public golf courses of the land rather than seeing them as competition because that is where your members come from. Yeah. No, almost nobody starts this game with a first round at New South Wales Golf Club no. or Royal Sydney having bought $3,000 worth of golf clubs to have a go. That's not how it works. No, that's what makes Moore Park or Wembley in Perth or the other courses in Sydney, East Lake, as you mentioned, and uh, North Ride, I think, is in this category as well, of courses that are extremely influential, like they're have this outsized influence on golf because they're good courses that people can access and they're 18 hole courses and and for somebody trying to get into golf they want to like that's all they're thinking about is like oh that's not a proper golf course botany's not a proper golf course like this is this is one of these 18 hole courses and look it's really good this is good this golf thing Mm. uh and those clubs the job of those clubs in many ways is to feed the future membership of those private courses. We, we spoke to, well, I didn't, but I, the, I spoke to Leighton Gould over at Camaray. I mentioned him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, he fills Camaray, little like par three course now, uh, but very centrally located. The, a part of the role of Camaray is to bring people into the game and then feed them onto mm. private courses. He's transparent about that. They're going to churn out of there and he's got to bring more golfers in. Uh, but they've invested in that facility and it's a really, really interesting place to play golf now. But for new players, um, you know, that, that's that's the role that that plays. But Moore Park was a whole other level above that. Oh, very much. Uh, where, where it's, you know, proper golf course. Yeah, indeed. So we want to get people in thinking about the whole proper golf course. And then once they get here, like, then we re-educate them about why botany is just <laughs> as important. And in fact... <laughs> oh, indeed. Absolutely. Uh, we're, it's tempting for us to look at it solely through that lens of a golf perspective where, well, this is so important to golf. But it's also something that has happily coexisted with the community around it for over 100 years. And it's uh, 
and uh, delivering a lot of benefit to the community around it. It's already talked about the $15 million a year it brings that goes back into the rest of the parkland in that surrounding area. For perspective, and this is where I think the issue is much bigger, and golf's got a role to play here in what this means, this has all happened because there's a national housing strategy which says each state must build a certain number of houses based on their population each year for five years. And the number for New South Wales is 75,000. And the rules of that strategy are you can't build them all in Dubbo. Mm-hmm. They've got to be places where people want to live that are close to facilities and, and all that other stuff. So you can see there's going to be – And that's a good rule. And that is – it is From an a urban planning point of view – Most definitely. Building responsibly. So anybody would say that makes a whole The built environment should be clustered exactly. around public transport and that's facilities right. and hospitals. As we've got here at St. Leonard, sort of which is a fabulous example. Really that, amazing around and, here. And yeah. going along that way. So you can see the problem they've got and that's all perfectly reasonable. What the regulations also say is when you build this high-density housing, you've got to have some green space and open areas for people to go and hang out in when they're not in their two-bedroom units with a tiny balcony. Also makes a whole lot of sense. It's hard to argue with that. What's happened here is with some some backroom politics and people with different agendas have said, great, let's approve that for there, that housing, near what's currently the golf course, then turn the golf course into a park which is apparently different green space to a golf course. I thought it was all green space, but apparently it's a different sort of green space. And that solves our problem. So the golf's been kind of caught up partly because it's an easy target. This is an easy sell for the government. Yeah. Golfers yep. will complain, but en masse, voters in New South Wales aren't going to go angrily to the next polls and say, you close more park golf course. Here's the question. I'm going to start with Logan. I want you to think about this, Lucy. What happens in 10, 15, or 20 years when you've taken all the golf courses back under this strategy – and you've still got well, the same housing problems. It's temp- let's not catastrophize. No, no, no. Gonna but take it's a all short, the courses, it's but short-sightedness is the problem here, isn't yeah, it? The let, long-term problem isn't going to go away. I think it's unlike Most of golf, for a lot of golfers, is going to be fine. Like the... That's let's not catastrophize the situation. But this is... It's, this is a, what they said 20 years This is a massive loss. Park. Yeah. No, more, <laughs> more Park is, is a place that was always likely to be under threat because... Exactly, governments come after the city, which is what's magnificent about it. Governments come after public courses as well, um, and strangely ignore. Oh, I'm, sorry, I'm not talking about private. I'm talking about public yeah. golf. Public yeah, golf is right. it's the lower ha- lowest hanging fruit if this is going to be the model. Yeah, uh, look, that is that is very dangerous. And look, we might trust this current premier mm-hmm. and and say, well, yeah, okay, I re- he really is going to make retain it as green space and make it somewhere which Australians will actually use a lot. Like I think. We really uh, – there's a cultural element to this as well where I think Australians actually use parks a fair bit but not nearly as much as other countries. Like I, We just love having them. We love having parks. Um, park over there I could use. But a lot of parkland, including a lot of the parkland around Moore Park, is just completely empty almost all day, every day, uh, which could be crawling with people. And we're talking about parkland that's right there alongside – It's not you don't have to like get across the golf course to get to it over in – uh, Centennial Park. It's stuff that's right there in Moore Park, right next to the golf course, which is basically empty. Um, uh, Australians love having it, but tend not to use it. I, I've seen park use in other countries where you can't, there's no space for a blanket. And we're talking about cities that have a, an abundance of parkland, like, like Copenhagen or, or London, where there's there's an abundance of parkland. But if, if a nice day, you can't get a blanket down anywhere without rubbing shoulders against the family next to you. Um, but we don't experience that in Australia. We've got an abundance of parkland. 
Uh, we wouldn't put up with it in Australia, would we? Yeah. But, well, we do experience it in Australia, but it's on the beaches. Oh, the beaches. Yeah, yes, true. Yeah, the beaches. Actually, with the Pom- beaches, Lucy, in fairness, the few palms that are out <laughs> up the beach. The we beaches draw a huge crowd. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a form of uh, parkland for us, I guess. Um, but, you know, so they're saying, okay, we're going to retain it as green space, whatever that means. And it's not necessarily going to be green space that is as effective at biodiversity as a golf course. I think just to quote a few points from your article, Rod, uh, golf courses have around 50 to 100% higher uh, complexity of vegetation than normal parkland. Uh, Beetle and bug abundance on golf courses is six to 10 times greater than that within other parks, Um, even parks right alongside those golf courses. So in the same sort of indigenous area. Um, Bee species richness on golf courses is three to four times that of the remnant heathlands. And this is some of this is from a report from uh, actually, University of Melbourne. All of it's from a report, actually. I didn't do any of this. Community benefits myself, of golf in Australia. Uh, some academics from the University of Melbourne. So some of this is Melbourne specific. Now that's not the first study of its time that has yeah. had this same finding. Yeah. That a golf courses are much more There's healthy, the, heat, the urban heat benefits of golf as well, which I think yeah. is incredibly important. All of that said, is, so all of those will be dialed down a little bit if this is parkland and not a golf course. But then. And let's say we trust this premier completely. Who, who's to say the premier in ten years' time can be trusted mm. to not build on that? And golf courses have been incredibly good at defending against urban development mm. for you know hundreds of years. You just I keep I've said it so many times in this podcast, but you keep looking at Google Maps mm. and the big green areas on most metropolitan Sydney's in Australia are golf courses. Yeah. Everything else gets swallowed up. Golf courses are the only things that truly defend against uh, urban um, uh, development. But in 10 years' time, who knows? In 20 years' time, it might be all gone. Hmm. Um, And it starts somewhere. Lucy, we've very quickly in this conversation gone from golf, which is our interest, and, you know, reducing your three putts and hitting it straighter and all of those other things. It is something much bigger and broader. And this plugs into, which is something I think most of us golfers don't think enough about, golf's place in broader society and what it sort of does. Within the club, as you said, you were sort of blindsided by this. Was there has there been a contingency thing? Has there been a thought that look at some point this has been tried so many times. At some point, it's going to be successful. Has there been some contingency planning about the future? Talks about what might happen if this ever if you ever find yourself where you are now. Um, not within the club. I mean, again, I guess it's it's as we mentioned before. It's sort of a. a sort of interesting situation that we find ourselves in with the structure of um, the golf golfing precinct there. Certainly, you know, as a as a club, we haven't sat down and gone, okay, do we relocate to somewhere else or anything like that? That wouldn't be feasible. Um, think, would it? No. So it's more um, when Clovermore came after us two years ago, it was trying to engage and discuss how we could – um, be more um, used by the public as well. So having pathways on the perimeter, opening up maybe holes two to eight in the afternoons, all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, as a club, that's not our decision. No. Um, and there's also been discussion about having a putt-putt uh, installed. And as a club, we 
wholeheartedly supported that. It, it, not so much them taking the tenth hole off us, but that's a weird way to do it. Having a lo- you know, there's a location by the toll house. Anybody that knows the area um, that would be perfect for it. And as far as we as a club saw it, it was you have people playing putt putt. They then graduate onto the driving range. They then graduate onto having lessons. They then graduate to playing the course, and potentially they become a member. And yes, or they just carry on playing socially, you know. And it's just there was a, a very clear pathway for introducing people to the game. And I think we're actually missing a massive opportunity here because with. COVID and the resurgence of golf and love it or hate it, live is also bringing golf to a very different dynamic or sorry, demographic of people. Mm. And you look at the driving range at Moore Park um, any evening, it is absolutely rammed. Mm. And the majority of people, I would say, are under 30. Mm. And we're going to be cutting that off at the knees for them to be progressing to yeah, playing. To yeah. as, as much as anything, that's about, is it not, and something we've done poorly in Australia and other parts of the world, making non-golfers feel and understand that they're welcome inside the boundaries of a golf course. In Scotland, you don't see this issue so much. Like, you have the right to roam and people go across golf. That's a whole different culture, clearly. But in Australia, and I think probably true a lot of the time in America, people who don't play golf see a golf facility and immediately assume they can't go in there. Mm-hmm. Mm. And more parts been playing a role yes. in setting people straight about That acceptance is crucial because what you get out at the other end of that that notion of the golf's over there and it's exclusive is people who start to hate the game because of what they think it stands for. So that soft selling thing is extraordinarily important. It's something mm. golf hasn't been great at. Yeah, agree. And we, yeah, we should be doing better at it, mm. definitely. But I think the problem is, is it, sort of a halving more park. And I think that will have a massive effect on the number of people that go there and everything like that. It's one of the most welcoming clubs or sorry, facilities that is in Sydney. Yeah, And so we're, we're yeah, we're, we're stopping it right at the point where people start feeling welcome and aren't, you know, driving up to a big gated um, mm. community. It recognises sort of, your number plate. Yeah. It opens the boom and gate or not. And it's, 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 I think, you know, unfortunate that it, there hasn't been the due diligence or community consultation about what, with golfers and about what Moore Park is to that community and um, the people that go and play there and the absolute diverse, mm. you know, sort of different nationalities, different um, abilities uh, and everything like that. And there just isn't an understanding um, of, of what it can offer. And we should actually be dreaming big and be putting two more stories on that driving range and, you know, making it a real uh, welcoming facility where people come and they go from never holding a club to playing 18 holes mm-hmm. and understanding this is a game for life, yes, you know. And Tiger Woods started playing at two, and we've got people that are in their 80s playing and still can all play competitively together, and that's what people don't understand. 
with golf. They just see it as a rich white man's sport, and it's not. We keep telling these stories, Logue, to ourselves within golf. Mm. We've talked about this before, too. We're already preaching to the converted. There'll be golfers out there listening to this, nodding furiously, understanding all that we've been less good at getting that message across to people who don't play golf. But ultimately, do golfers, do we need to accept we are a minority mm-hmm. within the community? And if the community's decided to impose on Moore Park a limit of nine holes, should we accept that gracefully and say, well, fair enough, we have to be a part of something bigger? Yeah, it's very difficult to defend or attack the points that are made against golf. It's, it's And golf itself, like again, I, listening to everything Lucy said there, I'm nodding along thinking yeah of course yes yeah. yes absolutely uh, step outside your golf hat though. but again yeah all of that is yeah very much within the golf bubble and it's all about this is why this is important to golf nobody cares nobody cares why it's important to golf it's they they want to know how they can access the thing not necessarily through the front gate but have the whole property be more permeable to to borrow a term from harley cruz who has like consulted a little bit for the club um, he he always makes the point that they the whole property needs to be more permeable. Like you need good word, Harley. Yeah, point yeah. for that, Harley. <laughs> one point for Harley um, Bruce. And I think this is one of the takeaways that we can learn from it because Moore Park, kind of by necessity, has a lot of fencing and it it's a, not a good look. But it is extremely welcoming through the front door. Mm. But even then, as golf courses go, it's extremely friendly. But I think mm. if you... We're grading on a curve, aren't we? Yeah. We just automatically put it in place. But if, if you're you sort of focus group to that, they'd still be like... If you were a non-golfer and walked in, it'd be Okay, like, oh. I, I drove in and like, where do I go? And, and look, it does a pretty good job. It's got stickers on the ground pointing at where you go to go to the pro shop and like start here, then go to there. That's for the... Um, that's for if your intent was to go and hit balls at the driving range. Great. They've got you covered. It's very well signposted. Um, but if your intent is just to sort of roam around, it's... Incredibly um, opaque. There's, there's even going through the conventional, like driving up the driveway, parking in the parking lot, walking towards the clubhouse. You're gonna start to slow down and think to yourself, "Should I be here?" It's, it has that effect that every golf course has. I get that at the chipping green. Should I be here? <laughs> um, um, point so, for opaque too, by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, permeable versus opaque. So, but that's not really addressing the problem. I think that the general public see with it where they're looking at that second paddock with holes two to eight and they're seeing fences around it and they can't walk out there and uh oh, there's got to be a solution to that um it's it feels like it just needs some creative thinking doesn't it to be honest i yeah. mean pedestrians share roads with cars yeah we don't have a million fatalities a day from that there's yeah. got to be a safe way for golf courses to be able to share doesn't seem like it's ever been thought of anywhere that I know of or can tell where it's... Scotland, you have a cultural thing, and I guess that's maybe it'd be generational here, but uh, Clate's made the point today when I was talking to him, in Scotland, if you don't play golf and you're crossing a golfers, you know people are playing golf, so you're careful about it the same as when you cross a road, and the golfers know that people are going to walk, so they're careful about it, so you wouldn't get that here. Mm-hmm. We saw instances of that when there was the controversy over Marrickville, and golfers screaming at people who'd wandered into the wrong yeah. space. And yeah. Well, Marrickville does a remarkably good job of being... Um, permeable. There's people wandering around that course almost all day long, but mm. especially in the afternoons, people walking their dog and it mostly gets along. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of there is a lot of conflict, and that's what people are going to write about when you have a Facebook thread. Um, I, I think that can distort the truth of it a little bit. If you go any given afternoon at Marrickville, it's a pretty peaceful scene with people walking around and golfers still playing golf. 
especially on the weekends. They have the jazz on the weekends and the yeah, first family and they close is the first closed. And yeah, yeah. And yeah. Some, there's some creative thinking that perhaps addresses some of those issues. Within the, the club, the cause, you would not just talk to other club members, I assume. You'd run into lots of golfers when you're down there at Moore Park. Is there a feeling that this is a done deal, Lucy? Ah, oh, look, I think... Um Are you hopeful? What's your own personal thought about that? Look, I don't want to go down without a fight. No. Let's put it that way. So um, certainly as a board, we are looking um, at how we can engage with the people that have made this decision um, to try and – because, you know, the Premier did say there is going to be a cons- consultation um, so feels a little late for that, doesn't it? Yeah, it, <laughs> you kind of hope that that would have happened mm. prior to the announcement. Um, so, we, as I say, we, we're going to you know give it our best to try and this not to happen. Um, I've had you know people coming up to me and going, "Well, what am I going to do? This is my family here, and I you know play golf." And, you know, it is what I love doing and I, I can't afford to go to another club and things like that. And, it, you know, that's just like, wow, mm. I, I'm responsible to try and not make this happen, basically. Um, that's going to be difficult. I'm sure you accept that. Absolutely. It's probably an unlikely outcome. Is there a next best option? Is there a way, was, was it Churchill said, every crisis don't waste a good crisis. They're always an opportunity. Is there a next best option? Is there a way, if we accept that that's going to happen, that what remains of the Moore Park Golf Facility can serve a greater purpose? And we've seen what they've done in Glasgow with Golfit. I'm not suggesting that necessarily for Moore Park, but is there a way for Moore Park to reinvent itself and make that contribution that it's been making in a different way, perhaps even a more effective way in the future? Look, I think it's certainly something that we investigate, but um, I don't want to... I don't. I, I don't necessarily want to give up on the eighteen holes just yet. And um, you know, if that does become a fait accompli, then yes, absolutely, we'll we'll then have to completely sort of look, you know, pivot and 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 look to see what our options as far as a nine hole facility is. Just, I mean, the problem is, is that it it just already reduces the number of people that you can have. Of course, oh, we have, yeah. you know, we have a limited number of tea times anyway, as I say, 25%, only 25%. And so it's, it, it would then be a negotiation for us as far as we're concerned as a club as to what we can have. And yeah, it, you know, it, it how many members are there? Uh, 600, 629, I 600. think. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of those arguments, that's such a distortion as well to be, using that but this is what happens and this is what we're up against is this simple throwaway statement of like oh we're going to return this to the hands of the you know hundreds of tens of thousands of people who are going to live there versus the 600 people who have access to it now which is an infuriating argument because as you just said those 600 people only have access to 25 percent of the tea times and there's the other oh, thousands, <laughs> ninety thousand rounds. Yeah. Nobody's suggesting that's no. But there was like millions of visitors place. in a year, wasn't there? Like for the when you bring into account the driving range and everything, the, yeah. there's an enormous number of people that go there. Um, so which makes that whole argument absurd. But I, I was listening to um, Talkback Radio <laughs> the oh, other day because I knew they'd be on on this, and I was just I forced myself to do it just to listen to what they had to say. And that was the thing that people were ringing up 
just talking about even the even the pundits that they had come on, they were asked to sum this up in one sentence and half all the all the anti golf pundits were that was their thing. It was like, well, well yes, we've got to give this back to the tens of thousands of people who live in that area versus the six hundred that have access to it now. And it's you can't just sort of hey, hang on, you, like you, because you it's need like five minutes That's to true. respond to that. It's extremely frustrating. But the language is important. We haven't too. got anything to no, buy back right. on that. There's not. We haven't got. There, the and there isn't a pitch. simple like no. thing. It, it just all sounds like so obscure when we start talking about pathways in golf and everything. It just sounds so obscure. The language is annoying and distorts things too, doesn't it? This notion of give back, as though somehow golf took away. Yeah. You know, these, these kind of warlike terms of the. The people use, and it really is important. Uh, we're going to create a new park. No, you're not. You're going to repurpose a park that's currently used for golf. There's nothing new about the park that's being created. You know, are we going to give back green space? No, it's already green space. Yeah. But those things just keep coming up, and they need to be pulled up uh, as often as often as possible. Uh, you don't think my doomsday prediction is correct, Logue, about public golf courses? <laughs> In general. And long-term city planning. This is, and not just in Australia. We're seeing this in other parts of the world too. Yeah, I look, in, on an infinite time scale, mm. uh, yeah, a lot of public golf will be under threat. So we need to look at this and work out. Well, just in Sydney, in that eastern suburbs area alone, Botany's uh, been under threat a few times um, and Eastlake as well has, has had some problems. And there's uh, and then what are you left with? Wallaro, which is sort of under some bit of a protectorate from Royal Sydney there, um, but also uh, like Bondi or Ramwick or the coast could go. That, that's awfully attractive piece of land there along the cliff tops. Um, so, yeah, there, there could be a domino effect and over 20, 30, 40 years they could all be gone. Yeah. Uh, but And that would be a huge loss. You can't help but think, I mean, if this can happen to Moore Park, yeah. you can't help but if it can happen to Moore Park, well, then it puts every public golf course in the country at risk. Yeah, and there's this argument being used to say, well, that's it, it, there's this extraordinary concentration of golf courses in Sydney and, and an extraordinary concentration of public golf courses in Sydney, more than almost any other capital city in the world. And I say, well, that's good. Yeah. That, I mean, that's like a, a feature of Sydney and – then let's examine the the environmental benefits of having those in Sydney. It's it keeps the temperature down. There, there's suburbs in the west of Sydney that don't have golf courses, where the standard of living is uh, much much less than the eastern suburbs. And one of the measures, which is consistent across the board when you look at things, the average temperature of a suburb uh, correlates to accessibility of hospitals, accessibility of public transport, average income, average life expectancy, availability of schools. That, that temperature stat correlates with all of that in the negative. And uh, places like the eastern suburbs of Sydney benefit enormously from having the, the cooling effects of those golf courses and the, the environmental diversity, whether you're using them or not. Or not or and it lifts all of the economic indicators in those areas where there's a lot of golf courses. So rather than look at it and think, oh, it's much Let's more than average, them, yeah. I look at it and think, but that's a real feature of that area. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's having some positive effects. What are some of the – I don't think any of these will come as a surprise to people, Lucy, what are some of the arguments you're going to make in favour of maintaining the 18 holes at Moore Park. You're obviously going to have to mount a fairly comprehensive and yeah. detailed sort of a campaign if you're going to convince them not to go ahead with that plan. What are the sorts of things that... I, I mean, I think it's a pretty simple... Um, accessibility is a huge one. Um, 
because again, as I say, and I, I mean, you know, and also affordability, mm. um, the fact that we have such an inclusive and diverse, um, not just membership, but also, you know, public play that um, plays there. Um, and then also it's the um, uh, equality for women golfers and juniors you know we don't stop juniors or women playing on a on a saturday so there's it's just it's we're a point we are a different setup to your standard pub, um private course, yeah, course. um try and to, try so, explaining a golf club to a non-golfer let alone the difference between moore park and the australian or royal sydney and I, I think it is just you know it's i mean our location is fabulous and it is you know in five kilometers from the cbd mm. um the tourism aspect of it that um, we haven't even touched on that mm. you know you, you ask majority of people that have visited and wanted to play golf in Sydney they probably played yeah. more part well you can catch a taxi there from the CBD yeah. and it's absolutely a remarkable that there's a course of that standard yeah. so close to a CBD a CBD of, do of not see Sydney. that no, that's yeah, exactly do right. not see that in Which other international the cities the point that the Herald was, was yeah. trying to make as though that's as a negative yeah. it's an asset to, to the city and to the community around there again we, we talk about sort of the golf experts and the diversity and inclusion is a little bit broader than that but it's predominantly saying we invite we welcome these people to golf or other places sort of don't some of the bigger issues though like I wonder whether golf has a better chance of resonating with the broader public on matters like the environment hmm. that environmental study that you mentioned and so What's going to happen here is they're going to close nine holes of a golf course and replace that makes money and replace it with a park that will cost money to maintain and be less environmentally diverse. It, it is a lose-lose. It shouldn't be a hard sell, should it? No, and golf courses sometimes get a bad rap for lack of biodiversity, as they should, and it's something golf should uh, hold itself to account with all I the think time. is more so than it's still worked out, but I think golf is doing much better in it all is. the aspects. That Absolutely, it's about. doing better. And we talked about this last week with Kaz. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, there's uh, the use of water, and in some communities, the golf courses plays a very important role in um, stormwater runoff and that sort of thing. Not uh, to mention engagements and 21st birthday parties. Yeah, absolutely. Functions, um, and just for recreation for a lot of communities, um, but and health benefits the golfers live five years longer yeah that That was astonishing there really (laughs) is as was the professor that we had on or the doctor we had on from st andrews a few weeks ago talked about that study they'd done where they prescribed golf and it was an effective treatment five five years longer and like better lovers i think it said as well wasn't it no it didn't say that no no question it doesn't need to it doesn't need to it's unspoken but there's, uh, yeah, that's, oh, I've derailed my argument now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> by, by funny stuff. But that is important. If you're going to cut through, I don't think golf, the game, is. if somebody is to have some sort of an interest in golf, they'd already understand that stuff. People who've got no interest in golf might be anti-golf. Can understand the notion of environmental issues you know, and things like health and that temperature thing. Yeah. Maybe we as golfers need to stop talking so much about, oh, you know, these are great golf Pathways and, and that's why 18 holes is important. Yeah, and, you know, that's how to get more difficult. people into golf. People yeah. who don't care about golf aren't interested. They don't care if more people play golf. But they, they do kind of, and are interested in things like health and yeah. environmental benefits. And perhaps that's the area where golf could be more effective. We keep talking about not getting our message out beyond golf. Maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah, so talking all, about golf, for God's sake. All green space isn't equal, is it? I, I can't get out of my head the artist renditions of green space when it comes to the green space that accompanies big apartment developments for high density developments it's always mostly concreted yeah and easy to maintain and it's often like a complete it 
it's got the biodiversity of a car park because often they start by just raising the whole thing, mm. and then. Uh, they come in and landscape it. Level it with a string line yeah. and adjust it slightly to make some drainage go all the same. That's right, <laughs> exactly. And then it's all. landscaped from there. And uh, so you've completely destroyed the indigenous biodiversity. That's my fear. Questions need to be asked about that. What's what's going to happen mm. with this area? Is it going to be uh, left to be rewilded a little bit? Will it turn into Elstonwick? Yeah, well, yeah. There's, there's some there's some good examples. There's, there's a great plan. There's some, some nice drawings of a yeah. fabulous public park with people having a great time in the paper along with the announcer. It's lucky they had those drawings, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just happened to be... The artist impressions. But yeah, I think, just, haven't they gone into Elstonwick or one of those places that got abandoned in Melbourne and found that the biodiversity actually hasn't increased since no. the golf course got put there? In fact, it's just a lot of weeds growing mm. and stuff that shouldn't be Non-Indigenous there. stuff and all yeah. of those. A lot of stuff that shouldn't be there is there now. So, yeah, that's, that, that feels like maybe we can just start asking some questions about more specific things. Like, can we get a guarantee that there won't be apartments put up there? Can we can we get some specifics about what the shape of the park will be and what sort of uh, biodiversity there will be for it? Cost? What is the biodiversity can, of it? We, and again, we trust you, Mister Mister mm. Premier, but uh, you know who's, whoever's going to replace you might turn all that around. And can you put in place some guarantee that this is going to remain green space for another hundred years? That sort of stuff. Yeah. It's a good question. (laughs) They are good questions and they're legitimate questions. They're not being asked because, of course, the other thing golf does is that it um, – divides is the wrong word. It becomes a loaded discussion. It's not about environments or city planning or biodiversity or any of those things. It's about golf. So immediately you get this, people have now divided into their camps. We don't care Pro, about golf. Andy, mm. They care about golf. You either care about golf or you don't care about golf. That's, That's exactly right. And so the discussion actually kind of isn't about golf in many ways. Golf's what's there at the moment, but it's about what what's going to replace it. And is that is that a better option? Is that really a better option? Uh, you know, I don't know. Don't know what will happen. Lucy, it's been lovely for you to come in and chat. What have I missed? There must be some million points you meant to make, and I've just... I was going to say one of the factors for Lucy joining Moore Park was that she couldn't drive, but uh, because you could get there via public transport, right? Correct. But yeah. now, now you've you've just driven over here in your fancy car like a big shot. So, you, <laughs> um, you've, you've but it was, no, it wasn't one of the factors. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have a car, and um, and also you know with the the tram line that's there, we we have so many members that turn up by public transport, yeah. um, and it, you know, they can store their you know kit. At the club, and they just they rock up and don't have to drive, which you know you'd think would make the Lord Mayor very happy, yeah. um, or they cycle, or you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's yeah, the, the, it's just frustrating as well because I think there are there are parts of the parkland around the golf course that could be developed as well. Mm. There's uh, Moor Park um, Batten Ball Oval there's Moor Park 3 it's called there's Kippax Lake all of those places I live opposite Kippax Lake and again you look out over there and there's two people walking their dog and they're sort um, of barren, barren soulless places yeah right? and it's that just Batten Ball Oval that's the one it used to have the grass skiing is oh, it? oh right, okay. right next to you all my time yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was grass skiing but then it goes down to this big flat nothing like nothing yeah but it's mode mode area yeah. yeah and let's develop those yeah. before that, that we attack yeah. the golf course and at least you know maybe a stay of execution you yeah. know but let's develop those and see if there is a demand hmm. 
because I'm still not convinced. That's my problem. I'm not convinced no, look, that there is, the, you know, there's a requirement, but whether there's a demand, because you do walk around Centennial Park on a sunny day and it's, again, you know, two or three people walking their dogs. Everybody else goes to the beach hmm. or they go to pools. Hmm. And they, so, Lucy, would be the privileged few. <laughs> Fair? Yeah. yeah. No, that's okay. part, part of the thing that's very vexing about, I think, one of the plans is that it's not only that paddock... Uh, with holes two to eight, but I think part of the main paddock as well. They're no, no, so that. they're leaving two to eight alone. Oh, is that the... It would have been... That would have been the logical. That's what we thought they'd always go after. Okay. But it's actually... We're losing... It's kind of the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. So all along South Dowling Street. Right, okay. All the... And behind the driving range. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is... Right there is Bat and Ball, uh, Moor Park, Bat and Ball yeah. Oval. So, so you'd still have the road crossing. You still have with, to cross with the, the nine hole uh, yes. version of the yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, it must be said that if if it does come down to sort of a horse trading thing, as you like to say, Rod, then we want to make sure we get a fantastic outcome for golf out of this with like a world class nine holes. Yeah. If that's if that's what it comes down to. Well the cost of that right. or even twelve holes if we can That's exactly right. If you can do more claim enough land to retain twelve holes. Which would be so. a differentiation. Yeah, invest or even in eleven it. holes. Like what doesn't matter that's how many be obsessed with twelve, yeah. No. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be some sort of Yeah, here. some investment and and sort of re uh design certainly. Yeah. But it's good land too. Of course it is. There's areas of it which are Sydney quite sand sandy. Belt. It's yeah, part right. of the Sydney sandbelt. Yeah. yeah. There, there's some low-lying areas which always are pretty wet, right? But there's some areas with oh, it's got nice potential. sandy rolling hills. And in many ways, that would be the least that could be done, you would think, yeah. uh, if, if you're going to take away from the golfers who've had access to it and use it. It's not as though the golf course hasn't been used. This is another frustrating thing about it. The facility is packed. Yeah. You're, taking, an, empty, then. you're taking an incredibly successful business and deliberately cutting it likely more than in half, the reality of a nine-hole course versus an eight-hole, the, the numbers aren't just 50-50, and you're doing that for kind of political reasons, and mm. it, it's kind of frustrating. So um, it, That's actually something, if it comes to it that there is only nine holes left and there's a need to you know, hire um, an architecture firm to, to produce a really great result there, I'd, I'd say that's something for the golf community to support. Yes, most definitely. The Australian, the Lakes, yep. Royal Sydney, all those courses around there that benefit from players have benefited through the mm -hmm. years from their pennant teams right yep. through to lifelong members who've started golf at Moore Park uh, and they poach their juniors <laughs> to go and play yeah. on their pennant yeah. teams. Uh, the, the Literally the least those clubs could do would be to throw a bunch of money towards Moore Park to come up with What's it going to take? Four or five? Four million would get you an amazing oh, world-class nine holes, wouldn't it? Sandringham, I think, was three million. Yeah. They did so all 18 greens Let's there. go crazy yeah. with this golf community and let's get, you know, $4 million, $5 million for more park to create an amazing thing where we're not just giving it to the lowest bidder to, you know, the sort of architecture firm that just does the odd bunker renovation here and there. Let's get them. Let's get a world class architect in here and create something fantastic. We know golf done right will attract people from outside areas, including overseas. Mm -hmm. People come from America still to play at Barnbuckle Dunes, and they come from the UK and America and other parts of the world every year to play the Sandbelt in Melbourne. Now, will they come to play a nine-hole golf course in Sydney? Perhaps not. If they come all the way here to play Royal Melbourne, 
will they fly to Sydney to play the best nine-hole golf course in the world? Possibly. Maybe. You put yourself in the picture for that, at least. And yeah. so, you know, yeah, I agree with you, Logan. I, I Let's fully not rely on the you. government to come up with no, that's exactly the right. budget for that. Let's get golfers involved in Let's that. pressure them to give as much. And yeah. the developers who are going to make the money out of the development that's, that the park yeah. is, is yeah. made, they should be contributing as well. But you're yeah. absolutely right. Absolutely. I don't envy you the fight. In, uh, you've got our full support, obviously, Lucy, Thank and I you. hope that you win. But um, we'll see what happens with Moore Park. Uh, I think we're probably in the realm of something more like that second option. I think I'm, this doesn't feel like a deal that can be undone. The finality not with which attitude. it was. No, not with that attitude. I agree with that. And I, I hope 100% that I'm wrong. But that's the sadness to me. It does feel like that's a decision's been made that can't or won't be reversed. But we will support you 100% in the fight to not let that happen. Thank you, Lucy. Great of you to come in. Hope Thank you, you very much Sydney for having Podcast me. Podcast Studios Appreciate Compound. Mm-hmm. And Logue, always good to have you along. Thanks, Rob. Episode 163. Well done. Done and dusted. that when you said it at the start. Well, Clates has started doing that too. He yeah. writes down the state of the game episodes because when we get to the end and I can't remember, he can throw it at me. Uh, one, six, three in the books. We'll be back again next week to do it all again here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.